Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Talent Hacks podcast. This is Chris. I'm here with Sasanka, and we've got a special guest today. Uh, we've got Jeff Busgang, uh, an entrepreneur turned venture capitalist. He is the co-founder and general partner at Flybridge Capital. Um, he's an entrepreneurship professor at Harvard Business School and the author of two books, Mastering the VC Game and his new book, Entering Startup Land. So, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here today. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Yeah, Jeff, it's uh, certainly a treat to have you here for um, you know our, our younger hiring managers, candidates, people looking for jobs. Uh, this podcast is new. And, and for those of you that don't know uh, Jeff, Jeff is a national renowned venture capitalist. Uh, so he invests in companies, uh, full transparency here. Uh, we're not here, and, and, and Jeff has not invested in LawnSource. Uh, <laughs> Jeff has been a great advocate for the Boston startup community. Uh, if you read the book, uh, toward the end of the book, he talks about the startup community uh, being generous. And, and before we jump into Jeff and his background and, and this awesome book that he wrote about, I, I, I did want to thank you, Jeff, for just being an advocate for the startup community. I mean, starting a company is really tough, and we know that your job is really hard. I think I learned that you know, in year three now at LaunchSource that the VC's job is not easy either, um, but Jeff certainly makes time to speak with other entrepreneurs, and I've, as I've gone through this journey, um, he's been always uh, really receptive to chatting or emailing back, and I, and I really appreciate that, uh, so thank you. Pleasure. This is a very humbling business, whether you're on the VC side or the entrepreneur side. I mean, all of us fail far, far more than we succeed. So when you're with a fellow traveler, you want him to succeed and cheer him on. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So and and you were once an entrepreneur, right? So, I was. So it, 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 and some of the actions I, I can see you still got that a little bit in your heart. But why don't you go ahead? Give us give us your background and and a little bit about you know your story. Uh, and then, you know, for our listeners out there, you know, who'd, who'd you really write this book for? What, what, is, what was the purpose for it? Sure. So I grew up in the Boston area, which is why I'm an avid Boston sports fan and startup cheerleader. I was the son of a Holocaust survivor who came to the U.S. because of MIT and Harvard after the war. And he became an immigrant entrepreneur. So he started a tech company, my dad did in the 1950s after the war ended and after he finished his schooling. So I grew up with the kitchen table MBA with a, a dad as a tech entrepreneur. And so that was the path that I took after a little bit of time in the management consulting field at BCG. And then going to business school, I came out and started doing startups. I joined a, a Series A startup right out of business school as a product manager. And I thought at the time that product management was the center of the universe, which I talk about a little bit in the book. For those of you out there who are thinking about careers in product management, it's a fantastic way to get started. And uh, ended up at a company that very fortunately did amazingly well. We went public a year after I joined at a billion dollar market capitalization. And I was catapulted from being one of the only product managers to being head of product management and on the executive team and eventually running a third of the company, which was way over my pay grade, way over my head from a preparation standpoint, but it threw me right into the fire. I was there for five years, and then I, and that company was called Open Market. It was an early pioneer in the internet commerce software space. And then I co-founded a company called You Promise, which was a college savings loyalty platform, which we built out over a number of years and was eventually acquired by Sally May, 
both of those companies, Open Market and New Promise, were backed by venture capitalists. And so 15 years ago, I helped start a venture capital firm, Flybridge Capital, with a couple of my friends who were partners at that venture capital firm, and we've been doing that since. Awesome. awesome. And, and uh, I think what was interesting, as, as I read, uh, for those of you uh, that are wondering, what, what's this book? Entering Startup Land, it, it, it came out earlier this month. Um, and I think getting started, when, you, when anybody, or I give my team a lot of books to read, and they're like, oh my God, Sasaka, like another book. And for me, what got me into it is your story, right? And, you know, coming out of Harvard Business School, I mean, you could do a lot of different things, but you decided, like, let's not talk about the company going public, to take this role in product management. I assume they didn't teach you all the things that you needed to know, not just in a product management role, but a startup at Harvard Business School, um, certainly gave you certain skills, but what makes a startup person, and as you've gone through this journey of several companies, what made you come to write this particular book? So first, what makes a good startup person? I think one of the things that I've observed in my many years of working with startup entrepreneurs and not only uh, founders, but joiners, which we'll talk about more, because I was a joiner when I started, is that you love to challenge yourself. You love to push the limits. When you see something done, you always question, why is it done that way? I'm a really inquisitive person. My kids are very inquisitive, which is a huge pain in the ass, frankly, as yeah. a parent. Yeah. Yeah. But I love it as a professional, and I know they're going to be awesome people and professionals as they grow up because of that just thirst for knowledge and challenging things and just asking why. And startup founders and joiners are awesome at challenging the status quo and just asking why. Why can't we do it differently? Why can't we do it better? Why isn't there another solution? So I think that's really critical to being effective in startups. So, uh, Jeff, I, I like how you uh, you said you, I think in the book, even in the intro, you said there are a ton of books written for founders, but this book is not written for founders. It's written for those joiners. And, you know, the startup idea, uh, I think, especially over the past couple of years with some TV shows about it, has becoming in increasingly more sexy to uh, people coming out of college or even people at bigger companies that are looking and saying, hey, I kind of want to be a part of that. But they might not have that tech background or the engineering background that a lot of people associate with, you know, startups or startup founders. But um, you talk about the different roles that joiners can fill. So could you talk about a couple of those? Like what are the different roles in startups that joiners can can come in and, and start with? Yeah, and you're totally right, by the way. Shark Tank and other things. Every, everybody puts Silicon Valley, which is super funny. And <laughs> I live it every day. Sometimes I wonder if they're following me around with a camera when I see some of the scenes and some of the parodies. But look, the world and the press, and many of us put founders on a pedestal, but it's employees number two through 200, two through 2,000 that actually create value. And those joiners, the people who are brave enough and crazy enough to join a startup, even though they're not getting the credit or the equity of the founder, that's what the backbone of Startup Land is made of. And so that's the reason I wrote this book for them. And your other question was about... Well, you know, I just think, you know... The jobs, let, what, yeah, what do what, you do? What kind of positions yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times I'll meet young people in my teaching and just in my, in my venture capital activities at Flybridge, and they'll say, hey, I want to join a startup. I want to leave this big bank or this big company what do I do? And I was answering that same question over and over and over again to my students and to young professionals that I would advise. And I started writing some of the 
advice down and trying to deconstruct the startup organization. Because startups, although they may seem chaotic, there is an organization to startups. There's a sales organization, a marketing department, product management. Now, when you're a 10-person startup, one person may be doing three of those jobs. Sure. But as companies evolve into 50 people and 100 people and 200 people, they sharpen those definitions and those roles become more clear. So what I wanted to do is deconstruct the startup organization. So I take each of the functions and break it down, talk about the different roles and talk about why a professional, whether young or mid-career, might want to choose one role or another. Right, and I think uh, one of the interesting things you mentioned was that at startups, uh, job titles don't mean what they mean at a bigger company, right? Uh, a VP at one company could be the director at another company, right? Or, or a VP at a startup could be doing the same type of thing as a director at uh, a larger company. So I think it's important to recognize if you're coming from a larger company, um, you've got to kind of match the skill set and understand what would I be doing at the startup versus what would I be doing at a different company and be able to translate that, that job, right? Yeah, I remember my first time at Open Market, I said to the founder, what should I call myself? I was the only product manager. There were no other product managers in the department. And he said, I don't really care. Call yourself whatever you want. Vice president of products, director of products, you're in charge of products. So yeah, titles are kind of irrelevant. They're so dynamic. Startups are so dynamic things change and evolve so quickly that you don't want to get too married to a title. And so I encourage many startups to be very loose consciously and explicitly with titles, maybe even don't even use you know titles like director and VP until things progress a couple years in. And so for people who are joining startups, the key thing is what's the job, what's the function, how am I being measured, what does the customer need, am I close to the customer, what is the product uh, look like? Am I close to the product? And don't worry about title. Right. Well, it's great. You know, if you're if you're considering joining a startup right out of college, um, I think this book is awesome because it goes into every different piece of a business that's not technical. You got your your product management, your marketing, your business development, your sales. Um, you know, all sorts of functions of the business that are really important. And you might be wondering. Uh, how do I get these skills? I just came from college. I've got a liberal arts degree. What is that? You know, how does that translate? I never learned any of this stuff in college, how to do this. But um, in the book, you mentioned that liberal arts degrees are actually really good, especially in the product uh, management section. Why do you think those skills can translate? I'm a huge fan of liberal arts degrees for young people because I think that those skills, writing skills, critical thinking skills, communication skills, are essential to being effective in a startup. You can pick up a lot of technical skills on the job. You can self-teach coding and database and data science um, skills, but it's very hard to teach communication, writing, and critical thinking skills on the job. And so that's why I'm a huge fan of, of that profile. There's a, a woman, I, I don't talk about her in the book, but I recently wrote a blog post about a, a woman named Julissa Salas who's a young woman who uh, was a liberal arts major. I think she was a French and history major, double major, at Middlebury College. Joined, uh, had worked at a big bank, first job out of college, because that was the safe thing to do and felt like the thing that her immigrant parents would be comfortable with. Decided she wanted to be in startups and got a job as a growth manager and now as director of growth at Toast, which is a super hot 
Boston-based startup growth stage company. And, you know, when you look at her resume before she joined Toast, it was completely non-obvious, not only being a woman of color, never mind that, but somebody who has a liberal arts background, no startup experience, no tech experience, but she hustled her way into that job by doing customer research and, you know, running around the city, meeting with restaurants who are Toast's customers and interviewing them and asking them about their experience with the product and competitors' products. And that hustle, that grit, that entrepreneurial spirit is what they fell in love with when they hired her. I yeah. think, I, yeah, I just want to touch on one more thing there because yeah. I think yeah. uh, in the last chapter or in the, in the end of the book there, you talk a lot about um, how to approach these startups. If you're looking for a job, especially right out of college, um, you know, or I guess even coming from a, from a, a bigger company, but... Um, if you can get a meeting with someone, if you can get a warm intro with somebody, make sure you bring a gift, right? Make sure you bring something to the table. And I think that's a perfect example of that, right? And by bringing something to the table, it doesn't mean bringing donuts in, right? It means bring some intelligence, bring some value, show you that, show that hiring manager that you've already done some research and really care about the job, right? That's exactly right. When, when people interview mid-career or young professionals about their company, it's really critical that you engage with them on their company and do your homework in advance and experience the product. Talk to people who are in the field, talk to customers, and walk in with a point of view. There's nothing more compelling in an interview, and you see this, I'm sure, in, in your activities, Sasankta, that when someone walks in and says, hey, I've been studying your business. Let me tell you what I hear about you in the market. Let me tell you what I think about your recent customer engagement effort what are your your marketing campaign your piece of collateral i had there's one woman i profile in the book who was a mid manager at verizon mid-career aaron warren and she went to interview for a job at you promise and she came with printouts of their email marketing campaigns with markups of what she thought the copy should look like and the call to action should look like and how it should be redesigned to be more playful and more fun and have a better voice she got that job very quickly because they were so compelled by her intelligence and the gifts that she brought to the table with regard to her insight about their company and their product. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that, Jeff, because as, as you know, in, in our business, right, we work with now over 100 high-growth tech companies. We've studied inside sales. Uh, it's a growing field, right, a shift to inside sales. And when we speak with, um, you know, hiring managers, one of the things that they say when they're trying to hire that entry level salesperson is, I want somebody that has grit. I want somebody that's competitive, that's athletic. Certainly things I heard 10 years ago. But now we've actually followed the journey for over three years. Uh, to and, and I gave a sneak peek uh, to a couple people in Boston. We're collecting data to say what actually makes someone who's successful as a BDR or you know business development representative uh, or inside salesperson. And we're starting to see that number one, uh, people with a liberal arts major are actually surpassing others uh, with other majors, right? And when we dig deeper, it's because of that intellectual curiosity. It's because of how they act not within, not only to their customers, but within the organization, right? And, and we're starting to see that. Um, and I think the other part of it is, you know, as you start, the journey in a startup and you go in one particular role so we'll go back to you know you starting out as, as a product manager and then within a year I guess you're running a third of the company 
that role might evolve or almost always will evolve. So Chris, uh, as, as the marketing person here uh, at, at LaunchSource is slowly taking a leadership role in operations because we need it. And he's actually really, really good at it. Well, and you. so <laughs> you, you find people's skills where I think in a larger company, you might not have that opportunity. But um, as you know, I, I've got a unique experience as a founder because I spent seven years in one of the largest uh, pharma companies uh, and I've worked in mid-sized companies and then started my own. You know, why should someone join a startup? If I'm considering joining a startup, right, and I'm coming out of school, or if I'm in a job or a hiring manager, um, you know, why should I join a startup or, or versus a large established company? I, I read your book and I'm, I'm excited and I want to go, like, what are some of the considerations I, sh I, sh I should think about uh, if that's the right thing for me? So it's not for everyone, but here's what I would say. If you want control and autonomy and a sense of purpose, all of which have led to, in many social psychology studies by folks like Daniel Pink and others, lead to greater happiness in the workplace and in life, then startups are absolutely for you. Because in a startup, you have that autonomy and that sense of purpose. Your work links to the success of the company very directly. Chris's work as a marketing executive, as an operations executive, links very directly to the work and success of LaunchSource, and he can see it. He has that line of sight. If you plop him down into a big company, not to be disparaging towards a pharmaceutical company or a Fortune 100 company, but if you plop him down in a mid-management position in that company, he has no idea how what he does each day moves the stock price. And he has no control over the success of that entity. And he has very little autonomy because he has to operate within a box. The beauty of startup land is you can maneuver, you can adjust, it's dynamic. It's a roller coaster. There are plenty of ups and downs. You know, I would have times when I would leave my office and I would go home to my wife and I would say, you know, I think we might not make payroll next week. Like we're literally at risk of not making payroll if we can't close this new financing or, uh, you know, looking at the feedback from customers from an early product and you think we're doomed. This product sucks. We shipped it too early. We should have let it sit for three months, but it was late. So we were going to miss the market window. Woe is me. Like you go through a lot of stress. And if you want to, the game, if you want to play in the game of startup land, you have to recognize that in exchange for that stress, there's greater sense of ownership, autonomy, and frankly, a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't talk about that stress, right? I, I speak with a lot of founders on the other end of this who've, you know, whether it was a founder of Bright Cove or so forth, and they've all been there. I think it's kind of a hidden thing, and, and I appreciate you bringing that out. Um, you know, in terms of our young managers, right, uh, and we see this, we work with a lot of people, 26 to 28 years old, and, and you have portfolio companies. What are some of the problems that you see consistently or skills that, you know, I think maybe skills that are lacking, but if, if I'm a manager, uh, and I guess this goes for, for all ages, right, in, in, in companies that are, let's say, not early stage, we're early stage, but in that growth stage, that you're kind of banging your head and saying, like, guys got to get better at this or you need to you need to acquire that that information i think sometimes when i speak with people they think that someone's just going to give them the answer 
And I think that's the other part of a startup, right? You've got to figure a lot of these stuff out. You've got to ask a lot of questions. Remember about the customer, but remember what's actually realistic. And so what are some of the problems that you see within your own portfolio companies and, and, and managers should, should you know, keep aware and, and think about uh, you know, uh, to, to gain those skills as they grow through, through a company? Well, look, at big companies, they do a few things right. And one of the things they do is management training and human capital development. And at startups, you just don't have time for that. I mean, you see this, I'm sure, I see this across my portfolio. You're throwing often young and experienced people into jobs that are over their head, which happened to me as well many times. And there's no time for training. There's no time for professional development. And so I think the best companies find a way to push their people, but also give them a chance to get coached, to get mentored, to get trained. When your managers themselves are not prepared to be managers, it's hard to train the employees. So you've got to find a way to level up everybody. When the CEO is a first-time CEO, as you are, and is themselves figuring out the job, how do they train their executive team to be executives if they're all first-time executives? And how do they train their middle managers to be managers if they're all first-time managers? So that's one of the challenges that, that we're seeing. And there are ways of addressing that, but a lot of it is about coaching, taking a little bit of time to, as Stephen Covey said in his Seven Habits, sharpen the saw to you know step back a little bit, do some of these off-sites and facilitated training, get some coaches, and have them really think about up-leveling their game. Yeah, and you hit a near and dear dear part to, to our heart and, and, and our you know eventual vision of, of the company. Um, and and I, I would say you're right, there isn't a playbook. You know, I out of my MBA, uh, known for entrepreneurship, it, it, it didn't give me a playbook to, to run a company or start a company. And and you figure that out. And one thing I've been uh, pretty strong with with my team is development, right? And and trying to find ways that if I certainly don't have the answer to seek that information out. So for, you know, certainly the managers that we work with, that we support, um, and this goes to anyone, you know, part of it is the company and, and they need to make that environment so that you can learn. But the other part of it as an employee, whether you're an employee or a manager or even an executive, you need to surround yourself with better people. You need to surround yourself with, uh, you know, people that have been there that can kind of guide you. I always think about it as mitigating mistakes, right? Like you're going to go through a lot of mistakes, but if I can make less of them, then we're a step ahead. Well, well, I'd say part of being a startup person too, right? Part of that DNA is kind of that um, desire to self-improve and to read books about whether you're interested in marketing, read books about marketing. If you're interested in product management, read books about developing products and learning about your customer um, or sales. Like, re you have to read all the time. If you're not already doing that, you might not be a startup person. I think you've got to take those initiatives. You've got to have blogs that you read. And like, if you're not doing that already, you can do that. You can become that. But once you start reading and find out what you really love, then you can become that startup person because you're not going to get that in most startups. You're not gonna get that structured learning and the mentor, you've gotta reach out to your network, you've gotta find people and see if they're willing to have coffee with you once a month and you know ask them some questions. And these are the type of things that help you get better as a professional. I think that's really well said, Chris. I was with a, a first line marketing manager at one of my portfolio companies the other day as part of a, a company gathering. 
And she asked me, what's the one piece of advice you would give me? And I said, read. Yeah. And she was like, really? What? Like, that's what you're suggesting I do? And I said, yeah, absolutely. This is a game of lifelong learning. And there's a reason that podcasts have become so popular in startup land. There's a reason that blogs and medium have exploded in startup land. It's because people are hungry for content to help them learn and help them elevate their game. There's a reason that edX and Coursera and other massively open course platforms have become so incredibly popular mm -hmm. in the last few years around the world. It's because now this information can be distributed cheap, in fact, for free, globally, efficiently. And so people anywhere in the world in any walk of life can educate themselves and lift themselves up in this fashion to really understand different parts of this game. And I think that's a fantastic element. Yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already well on your way to right. success. And, and <laughs> you know, I get I, I get a lot of, well, I don't have time, right? And uh, it was funny because uh, speaking to David Cancel, and he's like, you know, everybody wants to learn and move up and join a startup, but nobody has time to read, right? Listen, there's, there's Kindle, there's Audible, there's multi-facets of consuming information. Uh, you don't need to certainly get one book and just sit for six hours and read, right? Create a system for yourself. You know, for me, that is 9 a.m. to 9.19 on, on the train, right? I'm listening to uh, a book, you know, certainly Entering Startup Land was the last one that I did the last two weeks, but... You know, I've got literally a list of books and podcasts that I listen to. So find the time. It is so important, uh, especially in a startup, uh, to stay relevant, current, uh, and, and knowledgeable. And, and again, um, certainly launch sources, developing solutions to help that path. We're excited about it. But, but a lot of this is an onus on you, right? A lot of it is I can't tell you to log into a platform. I can't tell you to download Audible uh, or a Kindle, right, and, and find those books. And if you don't know where to start, uh, certainly ask people around, but if you're somebody looking uh, to join a startup, uh, I would say Entering Startup Land, excellent, excellent book. Uh, it, it, it exceeded my expectations, and I, I don't mean that just because Jeff's sitting here, it just yeah. his story about his personal journey, uh, you know, starting through that, and now with several years of experience, um, you know, kind of breaking down those functions has been super, super interesting for me. I learned things that I was like, crap, I wish I, uh, you know, I knew I some was, of this stuff before. I was just saying before. that to Jeff. Before you came in, we were talking about that, and I was saying, man, I wish I had read this <laughs> when I just graduated college. So I can't suggest it enough. I can't emphasize it enough. You should check out this book and read it because, it, like I said, well, if you're like me, and you're like, you like to be really prepared going into anything. Like I like to do all my research before I like dive into a job search or whatever. I'm not just going to go wing an interview. I'm doing all my research. If you want to join Startup Land, this book gives you the full background on, on everything you need to know about different positions and where you might fit. And, you know, I just, I think it relates to a lot of stuff that we go through Sasanko, which is when we're trying to help candidates find jobs, the biggest issue we have is that they can't articulate why they want that job or why they want to work for that company. And if you are coming right out of college or you're moving from another company and you have this feeling that, oh man, I, I want to join a startup, but you can't necessarily articulate why, this book 
helps you articulate why. And that is just, it's the toughest thing. Cause that, when, I mean, you're gonna be grilled on that. Why do you wanna join this startup? And you can't just say, ah, I just got this feeling. I just really wanna join a startup. I think I can help. This book will help you actually say, I have this skill. I think I can help here. These are my ideas. And, um, and I think that was the biggest takeaway that I got from it. And, and Jeff does a really great job of helping you narrow your job search down too, um, by picking a domain, picking a city, picking a, a stage, and then finally picking a company. So you've got a lot of like great direction in the book too, which I think helps. So yeah. I can't recommend it enough. I, I, I want to add one point and I want to turn over to Jeff for some final thoughts. Yes, I understand this book for sort of joiners, but I'm a first time founder. And I would highly recommend this book for any first-time founders. There was pieces in the book, as I was telling Jeff, like the four uh, differences in finance, how to think about that. And it really breaks it down. And it, it, as, as anybody who's founded a company or started a, you know, a, a company, it's a journey, right? It's a journey, and so you really want to make sure that you understand those rules and that you're finding people that really fit those skills, maybe for the short term, but also the long term. So, so first time founders, great book as well. Not only joiners. Thank you, Jeff. Any, any last kind of uh, comments or so forth? And where, where can people get the book? Well, you can buy it online. You can go to jeffbusgang.com or Amazon, find Entering Startup Land. I wanted to though react to something you said about the journey. You're so right about that. The, the, the model of working in one or two jobs over a 30 or 40 year career, like that time is gone. That time is long gone. And so professionals today, they're gonna work in 15 or 20 jobs over their 30 or 40 year career. And so when somebody says to me, hey startup, that particular startup seems risky. I don't know if I wanna do that. You know, my response is enter into startup land know that you're going to have a portfolio of experiences over your 30, 40 year career. You're going to be in 15 to 20 companies. Any one, two or three of them may fail, but at least you're building a skill set where you'll be effective in startup land, where you'll be sought after for the next one and the next one. And I think that's a really important takeaway for me as I look out into the future of work. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Once again, the book is Entering Startup Land by Jeff Buskang. Um, Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, so thanks for that. And, um, you know, for everybody listening, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining.